of Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 78 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and today's episode is something that I have been thinking about and working on um, for a very long time. Now, before we get into that, I want to just pause and um, make a request. If before you listen to today's episode, if you've not already done so, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to last week's episode, okay? Um, last week's episode is kind of a rewind episode. It's a re-released episode. Um, I originally did um, that material um, back in 2020, and um, I re-released it last week because it provides some important background material uh, I think for for what I'm going to be talking about today, uh, I I really think that today's episode will have um, more impact and make more sense, and fit into a, a a nicer, broader context if you go back and listen to last week's episode first. Okay, so so do that, and and we'll wait, and then you can come back. <laughs> okay, now having said that. The crux of the issue that I want to talk about today, or at least uh, attempt to uh, address, or at least trying to figure out how to say this so that it makes sense and it's accurate. For most of us, here's, like, here's, the, here's what is leading to this, okay, in my mind. For most of us in the 21st century, particularly in the West, when we, when we talk about church or when we, when we just hear the word church... There's a whole bunch of stuff that comes to mind, uh, and a lot of it is is just influenced by the culture in which we live, okay? Um, and after 2,000 years of church history, we, we just have a lot of history and a lot of baggage wrapped up in the word church. Some of it is very good, some of it is not so good, and some of it will just make us cringe, okay? There's a lot of... Um, critique about today's modern church going on in the world right now. Um, and, and all of those ideas, whatever those ideas are for you, all of that comes flooding to the forefront whenever we hear the word church. And it prevents us, I think, from understanding the church and seeing the church as it is intended to be seen. Okay? So um, a lot of you, uh, like me, have been, have been hurt by church. And that itself creates kind of a fog that is hard to see through and see past. And yet, the church, as I, as I have always maintained, as I resolutely maintain, the church is God's idea. It is a good thing. It is a very good thing. Um, the church is called the bride of Christ in Scripture, for goodness sakes. And so the challenge is, for us in the 21st century West, how do, we, how do we understand and talk about what the church is supposed to be and what the church is in God's idea, in God's mind? 
without all of that other stuff clouding things and getting in the way? How do we how do we become clear and and clearly focused on what the church ought to be and is supposed to be um, without that other stuff getting in the way? And I think that's an important task. I, I think we need to be clear in our own minds and in our own thinking about what is the church supposed to be because that will influence the way we critique what is and the things that we work to try to produce um, with God's help, okay? So what is the church supposed to be in the world? That's what I want to try and provide a little bit of clarity to uh, today. So as we begin to think about this and as we begin to talk about it, um, I want to just kind of bring up to the forefront um, the idea that for me, the Jesus Society is my way of trying to help us envision what the church is really supposed to be. Um, I chose that name um, as my own shorthand for the church and the kingdom of God in the world. Um, I was very deliberate in that. I, I agonized over what to call this podcast and what I wanted the, my focus to be. I agonized over that for a long time, and I chose the name of the Jesus Society um, as a way to kind of get at some of these things without some of that baggage um, that we sometimes hear. So this has been a this has been something I have been thinking about and, and concerned about for a long, long, long time. Um, and the Jesus Society for me is my way of trying to talk about all this in a way that sounded better than what a lot of people hear when they hear the word church, okay? And over the last few years, um, so I have that kind of name, and I'm not saying that's the, the, the one divinely inspired name that everybody has to use for this. This is my way of, of kind of presenting that to the world. Um, but over the last few years, I have been working on a way to try to describe, the, not, not just with a name, but to describe the church, the Jesus Society, in a way that was descriptive and complete and helpful and that captures the fullness and beauty of what I believe the Bible envisions when it talks about church without a lot of that baggage and in a way that's, that's simple, easy to understand, easy to remember, Okay. Because I, I really believe, again, that the church properly understood is a compelling thing. And I really, really want everybody else to see it that way, okay? But it has been a bit of a daunting task um, in figuring out how to talk about this, what words to use, what descriptive language to, to, to put into this that doesn't end up creating more problems than it solves. And that and that makes it simple and, and complete and kind of easy, okay? So I've been working on this, trying to figure out how to talk about this for a long, long, long time. And um, and it's been a daunting task, frankly. Um, and while I have made some, prog some progress in all this, I have repeatedly been tripped up by, by some of the various buzzwords and ideas and and a lot of the contemporary reactions against the church and, and contemporary perspectives on the church that seem to me um, to have as much potential to create a, a quagmire that further bogs us down 
than to provide something genuinely helpful and freeing, which is what I hope to do. So that's that's kind of the world I've been living in for a couple of years now, trying to figure out how to how to talk about this in a way that's helpful. And I've made some progress, but not as much as I'd like. But last week, actually, by the time you hear this, it will be um, about three weeks, maybe, or four weeks. Um, I discovered with great joy that somebody else has been working on this project as well. I'm, this isn't just my project. Somebody else has been doing this. And refreshingly to me, it was N.T. Wright, who you know that I have a great deal of respect for. Um, N.T. Wright always tends to bring clarity and insight into most discussions in the areas of the New Testament and early Christianity and, and how we live that out effectively today. So I discovered last week that he has been working on this as well. And his thinking and his ideas have been really, really helpful um, augmentations uh, to my own. He has made some very helpful headway in a few of the areas that I have been struggling to articulate clearly. And he discussed this, um, if you want to listen to it, and I'd encourage you to listen to it. He's got his own podcast. Um, and in the last, about the last 15 minutes of the October 14th episode of his own pod a podcast, which is called the Ask N.T. Wright uh, podcast, um, he discussed this. Um, and I will have a link to, to his, his, that episode of his podcast in today's show notes for all this. Okay. Now, for N.T. Wright, this... Um, this sort of project that he's been working on grows out of the work that he did in his fantastic book um, called Paul, A Biography. I'll have a link in the show notes to that as well. Um, his work in that book kind of spawned his, uh, his work in trying to figure out how to talk about the, the communities that Paul was working to create in the first century. Um, and I found his discussion of all this really, really, really helpful. And so, after several years of trying to put all this together myself, uh, I'm going to kind of discuss this in depth today. And I'm largely going to use N.T. Wright's categories, um, but I'm going to tweak a few of his terms. Not because I necessarily think he's wrong, um, but because I think a, a few of the terms that he uses carry some baggage in America. Um, you know, N.T. Wright is largely operating in the U.K., and um, things are a little different here in the States. And uh, I think a few of his terms create a little bit of baggage in America that I want to try to avoid. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak some of his, a few of his terms a little bit and, and make them what I think are more helpful in a specifically American context. Um, I'm also going to add a great deal of my own thinking that I've been working on in the last couple of years to this. So... Um, I, I don't, I, I feel like I need to say, I don't think that I am the equal of N.T. Wright in any way. <laughs> um, he is, he is something of a hero to me and, um, he would probably be aghast to think I think of him as a hero. Um, but, um, he is, he has been very helpful, uh, to me in a lot of ways. So I want to give him, I want to make sure as I start talking about this, that I give him all the credit that I feel is due um, to him in this, um, at least when it comes to this conversation. Okay, 
So the gist of this, uh, again, it, for, for him, answers the question, what kind of communities was the Paul, Apostle Paul trying to establish in his kingdom work throughout the Roman Empire in the first century? And I'm going to give this to you in a single sentence um, with my adaptations, which is the way he did it, um, which is the way N.T. Wright did it. And then I'm going to unpack each of these things with um, quite a bit more detail. And again, I invite you to go back and listen to N.T. Wright's podcast discussion of these things as well. So here it is. The Christian communities that Paul was trying to create in the first century were Jesus-honoring, edifying, egalitarian, philanthropic, fictive kinship groups. Now, that's a mouthful, right? So what do I mean by all of those things? Uh, so let me, let me break it down and explain each of those terms in turn, okay? But first, I need to pause and take a deep breath, and I need to have a sip of coffee. Because all this is uh, good stuff, and it's big stuff, and I don't want to rush through it, because it's important. Okay, um, I, I, honestly, I, I feel like this stuff is um, this stuff is is for me an important culmination of some some heavy duty thinking that I have been engaged in for a long, long, long time, and so I'm pretty I'm pretty happy and excited about this. This is probably not the end of things. I'll, I'll probably tweak some of this stuff as I go along because you know that's the way it works. So first of all. The, the, the communities Paul was trying to create were Jesus honoring. Now, this is a, th these communities and, and the church, this is the church, right? This is a community that, it, that is utterly centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, for me, there are a couple of ideas bound up in this word honoring, okay, that I want to bring out and sort of highlight, okay? And the first is this idea of allegiance, okay? And uh, I mentioned this last week in, um, actually, I mentioned this two weeks ago now um, in, uh, in my podcast. The core idea in the word faith, okay, when, when, we, when we talk about the term salvation by faith alone, the core idea in the word faith in the New Testament, the way it is being used, is allegiance, Okay, it's loyalty. I like allegiance better than loyalty. Okay, it's belief, but it's much more belief. Belief is much more than just acknowledgement. Okay, it is a belief that trusts and follows and obeys. And the best word that I know of to think about that is allegiance. And there was a book I, I mentioned by Matthew Bates called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Very, very good book. Um, I encourage you to get it and read it. Um, but allegiance is the first idea that is that is wrapped up for me in this idea of being a Jesus honoring community. Okay, allegiance. The second idea that is that is encapsulated in the word honoring for me is the idea of exalting. Okay, so we don't just follow Jesus; we exalt Him as Lord and King of the earth. We magnify His name in our worship, in our lives, in our words, 
um, and in our work. Okay, um, Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 that we are not proclaiming ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior and our King and we exalt him, we magnify him. Okay, um, Paul says in, in Colossians 3 verse 4 that Christ is our very life. So we follow him, we worship him, we want everyone to know him. He is our Lord and our King, and we exalt him, and we, um, and, and we are, we are allegiant to him. All those things are wrapped up in, in the word um, Jesus honoring. So, so these communities that, that Paul was creating in the first century Roman world were Jesus honoring first and foremost, okay? Secondly, these communities are edifying communities. Now, we need to we need to understand this word edify or edification. Okay, that's a that's a Bible word we don't use a lot anymore, but it is an important word. And I don't know of another word that we use regularly that captures the same stuff that this word has. So uh, I've talked about this word before in the podcast because it is an important word um, for Paul. Um, when, whenever Paul talks about what is, is supposed to happen in the church when we are assembled, the word that he keeps going back to more often than any other single word, overwhelmingly more often than any other single word, is the word edifying. Okay. Um, now, sometimes if you read your Bible, depending on what translation you have, um, that phrase is translated by um, the phrase building up. Okay, and that's a good translation. The Greek word there for, um, for building up or for edifying is the Greek word oikodomeo. Now, that's a compound word, and um, we, need to, we need to talk about that for a minute uh, in, in this concept of building up an edification. It, it's important when we use the language of edification that we think about the, the proper imagery of what's going on, which means that something is being built. Okay, something is being constructed. The root word, I, I said oikodomeo was a compound word. The root word is the root word oikos, which is the Greek word for house. Okay, so in classic Greek, oikodomeo was the natural word that you would use if you wanted to talk about building a house. All right, so in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul will say, that God gave some gifts to the church. And those gifts are people, certain roles. And they are, as he lists them, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are all the gifts that God has given to the church. And Paul says that those gifts, those, those people, those roles, are for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. So that phrase, building up, there, is the word oikodomeo. Okay? So when Paul uses the word oikodomeo in this context, he's talking about building something. Okay? And, the, and, the, and the question that should be right up in the forefront of your minds at this point is, what is Paul building? What is being built here? And in the context of, of Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, um, and really all the way through verse 16, whatever Paul is building here is closely 
tied to the idea of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, when, when, when the Bible talks about the saints, he's talking about you and me. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about followers of Jesus. We are the saints, okay? And we are to be equipped for the work of ministry or service, okay? And in the verses that follow in Ephesians 4, all the way down through verse 16, Paul paints a picture of what needs to be built in a healthy church. And it'll include things like Christian unity, knowledge, and I'm going to talk more about knowledge in just a minute. Um, it'll, it'll include a kind of spiritual maturity that is defined by likeness to Jesus, stability, speech that is both loving and truthful. Okay, that's, that's Christian maturity. It is a likeness to Jesus, a, a stability, and speech that is both loving and truthful. All right? Um, this idea for Paul, the thing, the thing that is being built, also in, involves a spiritual family that holds itself together and continues to build itself up toward maturity because every part of that family is healthy and strong and working together properly toward the same ends. All right? Those are the kinds of goals toward which the church moves as it is edified, okay? And that's important to understand because in a lot of the modern, a lot of times when you hear people talk about the idea of edification or being edified, you almost get the impression that edify means that you enjoyed something, okay? So to many people, I think if you find something edifying, that means you like it or you had a good time or you enjoyed it or it made it feel good. Well, Paul is talking about something much more substantial than that when he talks about edification. Edification is, for Paul, is both educational and, most importantly, transformational. Okay? And so, education in a, in a Christian context is not just the pursuit of knowledge for its own sake, it's education with a purpose. It's education and encouragement focused on producing wise, loving, stable, mature Christians who will then live in and interact with the world around them with wisdom and stability and truth and love. So Paul, a key part of the kind of communities Paul was forming in the first century is that they were edificational. I don't think that's a word, but I just made it up. But they're edifying communities, okay? And that's what edifying means, okay? It's, it's we're building Christian maturity and character and love and Christ-likeness, all right? Thirdly, these communities, hang on, I got a more coffee to keep this going. Thirdly, these communities for Paul were egalitarian. Now, what does that mean? In Galatians 3, verse 28, Paul says that in Christ there is no Jew, we're not Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. All these sort of categories of, of people that kind of divide us, socioeconomic categories, ethnic categories, gender categories, um, all those things that kind of segmented us out in, our, in the population in which we live, Paul says those things are all flattened when we become Christians. Okay? Um, for Paul, that was an extraordinary unheard of thing in his world. 
Paul's churches comprised all kinds of very different kinds of people, all unified in Jesus. When 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 you walked into that house, and they were they met in houses in the first century, but when I'm sure people in the on the sidewalk watching folks enter these houses um, uh, on a on a Sunday morning would have thought this is kind of bizarre. Like you've got you've got highbrow people, you've got lowbrow people, you've got slaves, you've got people of all ethnicities, and they're coming together, and they seem to be all one family, okay? And they would talk about being family um, in Jesus. No one was better or worse than anybody else, and in the in the very stratified world of the first century Roman Empire, that was something people marveled at, Okay? We still struggle to implement that in our churches today. Um, we still tend oftentimes to give preference to the wealthy and the well-bred, um, in some places to race. Um, um, we, we segment people by race or gender or, or whatever. But in Paul's day, it was, it was really important that everybody was unified in Christ. Okay, Everybody was one. And they weren't doing that perfectly, to be sure, which is why, for instance, the book of Romans and Galatians had to be written. Uh, they clearly were not doing this perfectly, all right? But that is what they were striving toward. And in their culture, that provided a profound witness to this new world that God was creating in Jesus, okay? Those were the goals to which Paul was striving, and that's the goal to which we must strive um, if we want to be the kind of communities of faith that Paul was was trying to create, and a piece of that is that we're thoroughly egalitarian, okay? Fourthly, these first century Christian communities were philanthropic. Um, Paul says in uh, Galatians 6 verse 10, um, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all people, especially those who belong to the household of faith. These are people who are taking care of the people around them. They're doing good. They're helping. They're they're blessing. They're taking. They're providing for um, in many, many, many different ways. Right? They're just they're good people. Right? In their communities, um, they were looking after people in their own communities who needed food or clothing or money or 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 healing or or whatever. Okay. And this is one of the main reasons that Christianity spread so well in the first century. And you'll you'll hear, this is one of the reasons I wanted you to, to listen to the podcast I introduced last week, um, because this is this is some background material for that. But these were people, people who were regarded as good neighbors, who made things better in the communities in which they live. Um, Paul says... Um, in Romans 12, 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Uh, th- um, this, is a, this is a people who, in their communities, so if somebody's having, um, somebody in your neighborhood is having a party, you go and you bring life and joy to that party. If somebody in your neighborhood has a, has a funeral, you, you go to that funeral and you share their sorrow genuinely. Christians should be the kind of people that other people in just enjoy having around. Jesus was that kind of person, you know. Um, Jesus was invited to that wedding in Cana in John chapter 2, I believe it is. You ever wonder why Jesus and his disciples were invited? 
probably in some ways because he knew the family, but also because Jesus was just a good guy to have around. He was fun. He he, you know, he was not this somber, stoic kind of guy. He was. I, I really think people enjoyed having Jesus around. We ought to be that kind of people. We ought to be just fun to be around, right? Um, Christians should always be people that other people enjoy having around. Sometimes we're not quite that way, are we? Sometimes we can tend to be a little uptight. Sometimes we can tend to be a little judgmental. We can be a little preachy. Um, Sometimes Christians are just not fun people for people who aren't Christians to be around. We're off-putting a little bit. Folks, we need to fix that. We should be pleasant people to be around, right? Um, not saying we got to compromise our, our beliefs or anything, but goodness gracious, we're sometimes we're just a little too uptight. Um, we're too judgmental. We're too preachy. We're we need to let our hair down a little bit and learn to be fun to be around, right? Christians should be people who it is who it is joy to be around because we are reflecting the joy and generous love of Jesus into the community around us. So we do that by helping people. We do that by, by being good people to be around, good neighbors, right? When things are going bad for somebody in your neighborhood, you should be the, the people that jump in and, um, and help. Um, there was something... There was something I put on, um, I think, I think I put it, I'm going to check real quick, because I think I did this, um, on the Jesus Society Facebook um, page. I'm checking. Before I say this, I want to make sure I actually did this, because um, I think I did. I think I put something up on there. Um Maybe I didn't put it up there. All right. Everybody, hold on. Because I'm going to do this right now. Because I want to talk about this and I want to make sure I do it. And if I don't do this, if I don't do it right now, I'm going to likely forget about it. Where on earth is it? Come on. There it is. Okay, I'm going to share this to a group. I'm going to share it to the Jesus Society. Jesus Society podcast. Post. Okay, here it is. I did it. See? Um, So, go to the Jesus Society podcast and... um, Look for, I'll tell you what it says. Look for, it, it right now, it's the top post. Um, and there's a picture, there's a picture um, of, a, of a log, an old ratty looking log cabin, okay? Read the post underneath that. It was originally posted by somebody named Harvey Patterson. No idea who Harvey Patterson is. It starts off, there's a story, it starts off, it was Christmas Eve 1942, okay? Find that and read it. This is what we're talking about. This kind of thing is what we're talking about by being a good neighbor and being uh, good people um, to be around in our communities. Okay? Philanthropic. That's what it means. That's a picture of it. Okay. 
All right, moving on. Um, fifthly and finally, Paul's first century Christian communities were fictive kinship communities. Now, what on earth are fictive kinship communities? This was a term N.T. Wright used. I had never heard this term before, so I had to look it up. Um, fictive kinship is an anthropological term, okay, that describes people who live together as family even though they're not related by blood or marriage, okay? So they're not family in, in the traditional sense that we think about family as being blood-related or marriage-related, but they are living together as family, okay? That is fictive kinship. Um, so in the ancient world, this is important, um, when you said, when you talked about family, that didn't just mean blood ties or marriage ties, okay? Um, it meant the people in your neighborhood or in your community that helped you out when something bad happened, okay? That's what the church was, and that's what the church still is for a lot of people, and it should be that, all right? This is not an organization. The church is not an organization. One of our, one of our big things that, oh, heavens, I wish we would get past because um, I've been thinking about this and talking about this for decades now, is we're, I think a lot of churches are building organizations rather than family. And we've got to recover the idea that church is family. And it needs to be family in every sense of that word. Okay? The, um, fictive kinship groups. Okay? Um it should be that. It should be family. And if and if that if if you are part of a church and you look around and you think oh, we're not family, something is dreadfully wrong somewhere. And and I need to say this because I sometimes sometimes people think I'm I'm um, too critical of churches. So I need to say this: what what is wrong? If that is your church, if your church is, doesn't feel like family, I want to say that something is is dreadfully wrong. And what's wrong might have something to do with the church, but it also might have something to do with you, okay? Sometimes the church doesn't feel like family, and it's because of the way we try to interact with the church. We, you know, we bring some of our own biases in there, and we become self-fulfilling prophecies um, about that kind of stuff. So I don't want to get off on that, but I don't know if there's ever been a time in modern America when there are so many lonely and adrift people in in the world, especially in America, um, that have no real connection. They're, they're not part of any kind of, of healthy, loving family anywhere. Their real family isn't that, and they're, they're not part of any kind of real family anywhere. Like, it is an, it is an epidemic, and it is a crisis um, in, our, in our world. And it is a point where the church can really shine and offer something that people just can't find anywhere else. Real connection, real family, people who will love them and care for them and nurture them and help them get through their junk and get over their junk and, and grow and become stable, healthy, wise, mature, loving people themselves, okay? The church can do that, like we, and we've got a real opportunity to do that, okay? People who will 
who will love you no matter what, and who will help you, who will build you up in the full edifying sense that we talked about earlier, to help you become strong and stable and wise and mature in your thinking and in your behavior. Okay? And there are many, many, many communities of faith around the world who are doing precisely what Paul said they would and should. But the point is that Paul is bringing into being through his teaching, through his pastoral work, through, through his letters, a new cultural and social reality in the first century Roman Empire, and it involves all those things. Um, he's demonstrating an attractive and compelling new way of being human, and that word attractive is important. And again, you need to listen to the podcast from last week. Okay, because it's all about what it means to be attractive in our world, okay, and what it meant to be attractive in the first century world, right? It is a it is a very Jewish vision of one God, one people, and it's now for everybody. Okay, which is why Christianity in the first century has been described as Judaism for the masses. And that is why Paul can say in Galatians 3:29 that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs, according to promise. Okay, so once again, um, and I'm going I'm to read all this together, okay? Um, the Christian communities of Paul were Jesus-honoring, edifying, egalitarian, philanthropic, fictive kinship groups, Okay? Taken together, that is, that is what Paul was trying to create in the first century. It is an outgrowth of Paul's vision of the kingdom of God. It is an outgrowth of what Jesus started in the Gospels. And that is what the church, the family of God, is supposed to be in the world. But for most people, um, especially here in the West but I think elsewhere as well. When we hear the word church, there are some things that come, come into our minds, and as, as I said before, almost certainly at least one or two of those things, one or two of those categories is, is probably missing. Okay? So the big question here is, what do we do with this? If these are the kind of communities Paul was creating, if these are the kind of communities that Jesus is calling us to try to create and build and nurture and develop, what do we do with this? Well, I think we use this, this list, and I want to be careful about any attempt to reduce some of this stuff to a list, okay? I've given it to you as a list, but all this stuff is interrelated, and it's much more complex than just saying, you know, a, a checklist or a, something you can just run down through, got this check, got this check. It's much more, anytime you work with people, it's like herding cats, like you can't just you can't just reduce it. You can't make it. It's helpful to try to make it simple so we understand it. But the work of actually bringing this about is anything but simple. All right? I understand that. So what do we do with this, this understanding? I think we use it, first of all, to make sure that, that what we are building in our work as Christians, in our work as disciple makers, in our work as, as church leaders, um, Make sure we're building authentic Christian communities, authentic churches. 
A lot of churches today have a, have a, a lot of plates that they're trying to spin in terms of ministry and programs, and, and they're not all bad. Sometimes I come across sounding like I think all that's bad. It's not all bad. Um, but a lot of those things always end up taking a lot of time and effort and money to keep, keep going. And small churches look at all that and, and struggle to do that because they don't have the, the, the people and the money and the resources to duplicate all that kind of stuff. And they think that's what I got to be if we're going to be a successful church in the 21st century. And that's just not so. And in fact, in a lot of those, those big program-driven churches, a lot of those things, they may be good, but they can sometimes be hindrances to these main things that we've talked about today. And it's always important to keep the main things the main things. And if these five things that we talked about are not present in a given church, big or small, regardless of what else may be present, I'd say that that church needs to do an all-stop and, and refocus. Because anything that hinders the church from being this kind of people and this kind of presence in the world simply needs to be jettisoned, okay? So another way I think we use this is that if you are looking for a healthy, authentic Christian church, you can kind of use this list as kind of a litmus test. Now, boy, be careful with that, all right? Be careful. But evaluate your church against these five things. And, and, and I think what might happen because I, I've thought a lot about this. I think, you know, I, I can be critical of churches sometimes, but if you if you look at almost at a lot of churches through this lens, you might find that, you know, this is a pretty okay church, even though I've been kind of critical of this church, but it's got all these things going on. And so this is an authentic church, and I need to back off my criticism, okay? You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Ron, the church critiquer, um, the uh, what what I call myself, um, the uh, um, I can't remember what I said a few weeks ago about my stance towards churches. I'm uh, disaffected sometimes. Um, um, I can't remember what I said. I had a I had a clever little turn of phrase for it, but I can't remember. Anyway, evaluate your church against these five things. Hopefully, everything is there but maybe not. And if not, figure out if you can make it better or if you need to find someplace else, okay? Talk to God about that. Let him guide you and help you. I also want to say, I also want to say in the midst of this discussion, and I don't know if this completely relates to all this or not, but I feel like it, I feel like I want to point this out that all of these these communities that Paul was was creating and building and nurturing and developing, they were jointly trying to hold together the, the, the two um, virtues of unity and holiness, okay? As they did all these five things, they were focused on unity and, and holiness, both of those. And, and I want to say those are hard things to hold together, okay? It is, it is really easy to have unity if you don't care about, care about holiness, right? Because anything goes. You know, nothing is really all that big a deal, okay? 
Also, it's pretty easy to have holiness if you don't care about unity because you can just separate from everybody who's not as holy as you think you are, right? But Christianity is always trying to hold those two things together because both are very important. And that means that unity and holiness are things that we have to work at and figure out. You just simply cannot sacrifice one for the other, okay? You can't just say, well, you know, it's no big deal. Sometimes things are big deals. And you got to figure out how to, how to work together if we're going to maintain unity and holiness, okay? Um, but having said that, and getting back to our original list, those five things, and I want, to, I want to close by just tying a bow around this this way. Those five things, okay, and I'll say them again so that we remember what they are. Jesus honoring, edifying, egalitarian, philanthropic, fictive kinship groups. Jesus honoring, edifying, egalitarian, philanthropic, fictive kinship groups. Groups, Those five things were characteristics of the kinds of Christian communities that Paul was creating in his world. And those kind of Christian communities changed the world. I think they still can. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. As always, we would appreciate it if you'd tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. And really, any place fine podcasts are found. Um, please visit us on the Facebook pa- our Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast. Um, check out our website, uh, which is thejesussociety.com, www.thejesussociety.com. Um, we're loading all of our episodes on, um, on uh, YouTube and Odyssey. Uh, if you search uh, for the Jesus Society podcast on either of those two platforms, you'll find us. If you'd like to support the show and our related ministry, click on the support TJS link on the Jesus Society website, thejesussociety.com, and yeah, you'll find out all, all the ways in which you can do that. Thank you for listening, and remember, you are greatly loved. Thank you.